0: All right, well, good morning, Influence. Good, morning. good to see you. Today we're going to talk about stealing. How many of you have ever stolen anything? Hold on, just keep your hands up. I want to see who does not raise their hand. So, how many of you have ever lied who don't have your hand up right now? Okay, we got you nailed on that one, right? When I uh, took a job when I was like 17 in this sporting goods shop, I had to take a lie detector test. And so I'm going through this thing and I'm thinking everything's good because I'm watching the guy, you know, there's kind of stone face, and all of a sudden he said, have you ever stolen any money from your mother's purse? Well, of course I did. I pilfered the purse all the time. Who, what kid didn't go get a nickel a quarter? You know, mom's not going to miss it, right? And I go, no, because, you know, who wants to admit to stealing from your mom? And I saw his eyebrows go up, you know, and he goes, well, now we at least know where the, uh, the line of, uh, of truth and error is in this whole process. Why would God say in the Ten Commandments, thou shall not steal? Because the father of all lies, Satan, is a thief. And when we steal, we take on the characteristic of the father of lies. And we bypass the characteristic of the God of truth. And when you bypass truth, you find yourself in a downward spiral of lies. Today I'm gonna talk to you about that subject, but first let me give you a wilderness report. Here's the first one, see if you've heard this before. You can be in the midst of a miracle and and not know it. Every time it seems that my emotional life gets a little low and I'm thinking, God, are you doing something? He lets me get there and then he blesses me with something. It's almost as if to say, Phil, I want you to understand this is not about you. I want you to understand this is about me. And as you learn to trust me, Daily, moment by moment, you're going to see my hand, and you're going to live a lot easier life. Here's the second wilderness report. The unknown is part of the journey. I mean, really, it's you're supposed to walk by faith and not by what? Let's say it again. Walk by faith and not by what? Sight, but we love sight. I want to see it, I want to feel it, I want to experience it, I want to know it. Also, don't be surprised by challenges. In the book of Peter, it says, uh, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that comes upon you as though some strange thing were happening to you. Why do you think that challenges are unusual? They happen all the time, every day. doesn't mean we like them, it's just a part of life. You know, it's generally accepted that stealing is wrong. In fact, all of mankind has some kind of of ethic that says stealing is wrong. The difference is that they, apart from the God of the Bible, there's no reason why it's wrong. It never traces it back to God as the creator and sustainer of all things, and ultimately everything we have is really on loan from him. You see, when we steal, we no longer respect God or the person from whom we steal. But remember, morality is revealed by God, not invented by man. Not the idea that, you know, man says, let's all get together and decide how our society should operate in the best possible way. They come up with this great code of ethics and everybody goes, yeah, that makes sense to me. No, there is a revelation from a God-giver, from a law-giver of what's right and what's wrong. We can steal money, we can steal time, we can steal time from our family, we can steal time from our employer, we can steal time from God, and then we can justify it by saying it's just for this season in my life. And the reality is we are a thief, and we are guilty. Oh no, we didn't rob the bank, we would never do that. But we would rob God, we would rob our family, we would rob ourselves. We rob the kingdom of God of its full effectiveness when we fail to serve him with dedication. If if this Bible is true, then surely we would have to admit that what God says about eternity is true as well. and, And that is that really what's significant and what's most powerful is going to be eternity. And everything we do now is somehow in preparation for that moment. You see, when we rob the kingdom of its effectiveness, we fail to serve, we fail to give, we fail to pray, we fail to minister to our full capacity. Jesus met this guy named Zacchaeus. He was a thief. He was a tax collector who not only took what the government wanted, but he took extra. Look what it says in Luke 19 and verse 8. Then Zacchaeus stood and said, Lord, If I I give back half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. When he met Jesus, you know what he did? He said, I have to repent, I have to stop. But notice the restitution he made, it wasn't to give back what he took, it was to restore it fourfold. You know it's a biblical principle that restitution is never made one-on-one, it's always more than was taken? And we'll show you that in scripture. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus said this, the thief, which is Satan, does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So there's the agenda of Satan right there for your life. I'm gonna kill you, I'm gonna steal from you, and I'm gonna destroy you every chance I get. But Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. This scripture is really interesting, this next one is Zechariah chapter 5 and verse 4. I really have never, I know I've read Zechariah dozens of times, somehow I never read it in the context of this, which is really what it is. Look what God says, I will send out the curse, says the Lord of hosts. It shall enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. It shall remain in the midst of the house and consume it with its timber and its stones. God says, I'm going to send in the curse. And that curse is going to remain in the house of the thief until honesty comes about. I pastored my first church, a man named Ansel Carruth. Good southern name, isn't it? He came to me and he said, you know, preacher, he never called me Phil, it was just always preacher, you know, preacher, everybody in this church ties 10% of their income to God. And I kind of smiled and I said, no, Ansel, it's not true. He said, oh, yeah, it is. He said, some of it, some people come and they bring it and they give it to God, and others, God goes into their house and he takes it in other ways. He's right. He's right, I, I look back over my life and I think the only explanation for the way that God has multiplied what I have has, been, has to be God. Let's go on a little bit further. Malachi chapter three and verse eight. Will a man rob God? I want you just to stop for a minute, get a mental picture. You put on one of those masks like a bandit wears. You get a couple of side arms and you, you go up to God and you say, God, stick them up. It's it's just, when you look at the Bible from a different perspective, it's just almost humorous at times. And yet they respond back, yet how have we robbed you? And I say, in what way have we robbed you? And he said, in tithes and offerings. Let me talk to you today about, first of all, two kingdoms. You see, there's two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of light and there's a kingdom of darkness. Kingdom means the king's domain. So you've got King Jesus over here and you've got would-be king Satan over here. And both of them, you see, are are vying for your attention and vying for your love and vying for your dedication and your devotion. Now on the one hand, this king Satan, he's saying, you know, I've come to kill and destroy, to lie to you. And the other one's saying, I've come to bless you and give you an abundant life. But you see, there's only one true king in this kingdom called the kingdom of God and you enter the kingdom of God by the new birth. You see, you don't become a Christian because you say you are, or because you go to church, or because you got baptized, or you join some membership class, or anything like that. You come through the new birth, which means, I understand that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, rose from the dead, and by faith I know that the only explanation for my salvation is him and not me, because I'm not good enough to get in when you enter the kingdom of God by the new birth you've got to remember you then exit the domain of satan so you transfer as Paul says in Ephesians out of this kingdom of darkness into this kingdom of light and you become the recipient of all the benefits that God has for you but the deception comes because the world loves religion you've heard me say I hate religion from the bottom of my, sh- sole of my foot I, to the top of my head, I hate religion. Because it confuses man about the truth. You see, in fact, the world, what they want is a safe religion that does not offend anyone and does not expect too much from anyone. In other words, I just want to get enough God in my life to get to heaven and know I'm safe but not enough God in my life that he's going to ask, me of any, ask anything of me or expect me to change my lifestyle. Religion, however, will keep you out of the kingdom of God and prevent you from knowing the power and the authority of God in your daily life. You see, the kingdom is something you enter into. The kingdom is something that's inside of you. The kingdom is the equivalent of the power and the authority of God. You're supposed to have more power and authority than the average person because you know him. God's kingdom comes in power, it tells us, and God's kingdom makes us uncomfortable. It pushes us to a a point where we don't want to be pushed. It encroaches in on our life and it says, are you kidding? You want that from me? You've got to not expect that much from me. Listen to what it says in Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. But it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now notice what it says here. Three things, righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. Do you realize if you have not righteousness in your life, you've missed one-third of the kingdom? If joy has popped out of your life, you've missed two-thirds of the kingdom of God. If you have neither righteousness, peace, or joy, what kingdom are you depending on? Luke chapter 17 Verse 20 and 21, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. So these religious people, they expected the kingdom of God would roll into town, the king would set up a throne, he would conquer Rome, and King Jesus, the Messiah, would rule. And he answered them, listen to what he said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. You don't see it coming. I always say it's Jehovah Sneaky. God kind of sneaks up on your life, and you go, what was that? God just captured my attention so he can control my action. The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is where? Within you. It's within you. If you know him, it is within you. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 28. The religious people again were upset and they said, him oh well you must not really be of God and he said but if I cast out demons by the spirit of God surely the kingdom of God has come upon you in other words how do you explain the fact that people have been delivered from all of these evil things in their life except the kingdom of God has come upon you Matthew 13 in verses 10 through 12 the, the disciples were confused. Why are you speaking in parables? They hadn't heard him do that. And he said to the disciples, they said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. you know what God does? Part of this whole thing is that God gives you the ability to understand the mysteries of God. But unto them, that is the religious, it has not been given. You know why religious people just don't get it? They just don't understand this whole thing because you have not the Spirit of God. If you you do not know Christ, if you've not been born again, I understand why this book would be confusing because it's hard to put your arms around it when you do know God. There's a lot of pages in this book. I mean, if this was not like super thin paper, this thing would be like nine inches thick, right? They trick you. They trick you, Bible manufacturers, they trick you. They'll say, We'll make really skinny paper and convince them it's a small book. And then everybody says, oh, I can read that. I've read, uh, I've read big books before. And all of a sudden you realize there's something different about this book. And what happens is when you give your life to Christ, the Spirit of God comes inside of you. He takes up residence and he begins to interpret and to help you to understand the Word of God because you don't understand it with this. I don't care how smart you are here, You have to have this, that is your spirit, alive, interpreting, explaining as you go. And when he does, then the mystery of the kingdom become clear. And then it says this, for to them it has not been given, but for whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. So what happens is there is this critical mass of understanding that begins to build up in your life. You begin to see things. God begins to reveal things, and he says, now because you've been faithful there, I'm going to give you more. Faithful there, I'm going to give you more. Faithful there, I'm going to give you more. Matthew 13, 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the Spirit of God comes and he lets you taste of the kingdom. You don't accept it fully. You don't fully understand it. Notice what happens. Then the wicked one comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. That is, when you begin to feel the Spirit of God moving your heart, do not turn away and assume you're going to have that same feeling, same experience later on, and you can always just pull God back into your life whenever you want. See, the Spirit of God comes like a gentle dove into our life, and and when the dove comes into our life, sometimes we say, not now, dove, and we slap the dove away. We slap the Spirit of God away. We say, not now, Spirit of God. Spirit of God comes, and he begins to move in our life in a way, and he says, I want more of you. Well, I'm not ready to give you more of me, God. I, I, I don't want more of you right now, because after all, I'm having a great time. I'm managing my life pretty good, and we slap the Spirit away again. We grieve him. He comes back a third time and we slap him away and finally we say, well, I wonder where he is. He hasn't been showing up lately in my life. Sometimes we push him out of the way so far that we've ceased to hear him or feel him or sense him in our life. Talk to you a little bit about the attack. What do we steal? What do we steal? I'm gonna confess a sin to you in fifth grade that I did. I met a guy named Mike. Mike was corrupt. Mike Stevens was as corrupt as you could get in fifth grade, I'm convinced. And I don't know why, but it was, uh, it was just one of those guys that you just kind of meet and you go, yeah, I like this guy. And he smoked, too. And I don't know why, but all the guys in fifth grade that smoked looked cool. I tried, couldn't smoke very well, so I never did. I never looked cool, but he was always cool. So Mike, he was going to train me. He said, "Let's go down. I'm going to teach you how to steal." I go, "Really?" Well, I don't. I'll get in trouble with my mom. Don't worry about your mom. Don't worry about your dad. You know, just come on. And so we go down, and I said, "What are we going to steal?" He said, "Doesn't matter." I go, "What do you mean it doesn't matter?" No, we steal anything. Doesn't matter. We're going to go into this little store. We're going to steal. We're going to fill our pockets up. We're going to go out, and we'll figure out what to do with it. I said, "What do you do with all this?" He said, "Most time, I just throw it away." you steal for nothing well yeah it's, it's the fun of it it's exciting we go in there we go into the store and they had those metal dog chains you know those choker chains they had them all lined up there's probably a hundred of them there I look over and Mike's stuff in his pockets full of dog chains I go are you kidding me I said Mike how many dogs you got he said I, even, I only have a cat I don't even have a dog he said fill your pockets up I, 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 I'm afraid to no go ahead so I took one and put it in my pocket, and I'm just walking out of there. I'm feeling awful. My dad's a colonel in the Army. He's going to kill me. <laughs> we get out there, and he goes, wasn't that great? And I go, I hated it. I'm taking my dog chain back in. He goes, you can't. I said, I can, if I can steal it, I can unsteal it. <laughs> I went back in there, and I'm looking around, and I'm reaching my pocket, and I unsteal it. Mike was a horrible influence on me. And everyone in this room has somebody who's a horrible influence on them. Because you see, they steal all different kinds of things, don't they? Now here's what we steal. Sometimes we steal reputation. You ever stolen somebody's reputation? You don't even have to say a word. All you have to do is when someone brings someone's name up, you just raise your eyebrow. Go, yeah, well, you know, you just stole their reputation. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. What's your tongue giving for? Proverbs 22 and verse 1. A good name is more to be desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. We steal someone's reputation. Sometimes we steal someone's hope. Someone has a dream and maybe you're you're a 12, 14 year old you know, a teenager, and you're sitting there going, I, I want to be this, and maybe, maybe you'll never be that, and maybe your parents know you just don't have what's, what it takes to be that, but we rip hope from the child's heart. We steal it, and it's hard to get it back. Sometimes we steal opportunity. The best qualified person for the job doesn't get the job because we stole something and we put that person in disregard somehow. Sometimes we steal innocence. I was in the mall the other day and I was walking down the mall and there was a guy that had a little baby. She couldn't have been more than, I don't know, maybe a year and a half old. And they had her standing there at the makeup stand, and the guy was putting makeup on this little one and a half year old girl. You know, and I wanted to just slap him in the name of Jesus. I mean, seriously, dude, you really think this little girl needs to be enhanced with makeup? We, we steal innocence when we take a child and we make them grow up too fast. We steal innocence when we take that from somebody that they should not be giving up like their virginity. We steal innocence when we, when we expose our kids to stuff on TV that five years ago we would have revolted from. We steal. We steal from ourselves sometimes joy. The joy that God has. My joy do I give unto you, not as the world gives, but I give my joy unto you that your joy might be made full. We steal joy from ourselves. We, we steal value from ourselves when we diminish that which God has done in us, the image of God, and we say, well, I'm really nothing, and I'm not, I can't amount to much. We steal value. Sometimes we steal from God honor. That God only deserves. God, you would deserve my honor, my praise, and my glory, and we don't. We take it for ourselves, or we give it to another. We steal from God that which he gave us. I uh, I got a roll of dimes the other day as a great reminder, and I said, I just took the dimes out, and, and I count, put 10 out in front of me, and I said, one for God, nine for me. Seems fair, doesn't it? It wasn't like God said, nine for me, and one for you. God said, no, one, for, one for me, and nine for you. And it seems small on a scale of when you do 10 cents versus 90 cents, but how many of you are stealing from God? And you say, well, I, I'll give God what's in my pocket instead of give God what he demands. We steal from God. It's interesting in Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14 that Paul, this this seasoned, I'm going to say, man's man, apostle. He'd been beat up, shipwrecked, left for dead, everything else. Listen to how he closes out one of his letters here in Timothy. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. I don't know about you, but I never want to be listed like that. Amen? I want him to say, wow, he did some great things for me and I love that guy we have to give back and not take from someone what's a solution you know I heard a story when I was living in South Louisiana not a true story most stories aren't mine are but most people's aren't story about a woman in a small town in South Louisiana and she began to spread a rumor on about somebody and After a while, she found out it wasn't true, and she told all of her friends, and all of her friends now had looked in disregard to her friend. She was really kind of perplexed, what do I do? And there was a wise old sage that lived in that town. She went to him and she said, uh, she told him what had happened, how she had told this rumor and it was untrue, and, and what can I do? And in his wisdom, he said, do you have a feather pillow at home? Oh, she said, oh yeah, I do. So take that feather pillow, open it up, go down to the town square and open it up and shake the feathers all over town. And when you're done, come see me. So she did. She came back to the sage and she said, I've done what you've asked, now what do I do? He says, now go collect all the feathers from the pillow. And he said, well, I, she said, I can't. The wind has taken them everywhere. And he said, neither can you take back all that you have said. See, we have to look at at life from a perspective of not what I want or not what is common or not what everybody's doing. What does God require of me? What does God want of me? When God God brought all this about, he said, first of all, I want you to examine yourself. You know, we wouldn't be much of a a religion, we wouldn't be much of Christianity if we didn't say, let's examine ourselves deeply. What is inside of me that needs to get out of there so that I can walk righteously before God, so that I can be pleasing to God? I have to examine myself. And when I discover what that thing or things are, I have to say, God, I'm sorry, I repent, I wanna turn away from that, and I wanna head in this direction. Great story, I, when I graduated from high school, you know how you have those little flat, stupid hats with a tassel? I mean, who invented that, seriously? And, you know, you throw them up there at the end. And I just took mine home. I just stole it. I did. I stole the little hat. Probably Mike Stevens, you know, that. <laughs> okay, now, fast forward a couple of years after high school. I'm in college. I find Jesus Christ. I get saved. And so I, I'm cleaning out my drawer, and I look in there at this stupid hat. And I thought, look at that stupid hat. Why did I steal that hat? That's it's worthless. I'm going to throw it away. And I... I went to throw it away, and I looked inside, and the address of the company that owned it was inside the hat. So I'll, I'll just take it back. So I go marching into the front office, and the lady was sitting there, and I said, she said, can I help you? I said, yeah, I stole this hat about four years ago. I'd like to return it. <laughs> she looked at me like, you are nuts. She said, oh, don't worry about it. She said, we just put into the price. We allow for a certain number of them to be stolen. I said, well, yeah, but here's the problem. The problem is that I found Christ. I feel bad about it. And now I am repenting and I'm bringing the hat back. And you tell me to forget about it. I got to give this hat to somebody. And she looked at me like I really was weird. And she said, just a minute. And she went into a back room. She's in there like five minutes. I'm thinking, well, I just want, can I just leave the hat on the desk? But God had another purpose. See, God always has another purpose when he moves you in the area of doing that which is right. President of the company came out. He said, can I help you? And I told him the quick story, and he said, come back in my office. I'm thinking, it's a hat. It's an ugly hat. Come back in my office, sit down, he says, tell me the story, and I began to tell him the story and about how I'd found Christ, and he said, you know, I too have been on a journey looking for God. I've not found him yet, but I believe this is very important in my journey. He said, I'll take the hat back, I've got to tell you, we don't use this hat anymore, and I'm going to throw it away. I said, well, you do whatever you want with it, but I've done what God told me to do with it. I left there, don't know the man's name, don't know what happened to his life. But there's something about doing that which is good and right that makes you feel like God. Isn't there? You know why I give? I love the way I feel when I give. Even if, the, even if it's the guy on the corner who's probably making more money than me. Amen. There's something inside of me, I don't give to every guy, but there's something inside of me that just says, you know, I know he's probably going to use it in a way that's inappropriate. But then again, I waste a lot of money at Starbucks. <laughs> I like what it does to me. I like when we don't steal Time and energy and all those things tomorrow morning I really covet your prayers I have a an interview a two-hour interview with the history channel for this show decoded and uh, he sent me four pages of questions I know the answers to three probably three-fourths of everything on there and the other fourth I don't have a clue and I have been I probably studied six seven hours yesterday and i it's like midnight last night I'm going to bed I'm trying to figure out how we're all gonna die You know, smallpox, we're going out the flu virus, you know, comets, meteors. You know, I've gotten 12 key ways we can all end. Trying to figure out if the Mayans are right. If they are, we don't have to do any Christmas shopping. (laughs) When we realize we've done something, we've stolen something, God calls upon us to make restitution. It's required by God, and it's always more than the loss. Let me just read you a couple of scriptures. Here's Exodus 22. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it and sells it, he must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. Leviticus six, two through five. Stolen property is restored plus one-fifth of the value. Luke nineteen, Zacchaeus, remember this one? Lord, Here I I am, and I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said this. Now notice what's connected to his repentance. Today, salvation has come to this house. That's what was keeping him from salvation was his greed, his heart. And hard, callous hearts keep us out of the kingdom of God. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek in that which is lost. Proverbs 30, verses seven through nine of scripture I love so much. Two things I request of you, he says, O oh God. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me and give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is allotted to me lest I get full and I deny you and I say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. You know what he's saying? I need to live a balanced life. I need to live within my means and I need to live a balanced life so that I don't get too much and say I don't need God or I get too little and I think I'm mad at God and I've got to go steal. Here's some life applications. Here's the first one. We have to walk in the Spirit of God. Anything else is just not going to work. You have to say, God, I want to walk in your Spirit. I want you to lead me. We need to create boundaries in our life to prevent us from really getting ourselves in trouble. We need to take action immediately. When the Spirit of God prompts you to do something, you want to do it right then. You don't want to go, you know, that's a great idea, Spirit. I I think I'm going to get around to that in November. No, no, no. Spirit prompts you, do it immediately. Do it immediately. Do it immediately. Follow what God says. See what God can do. You know what you can do. I know what I can do. It's not much. See what God can do. Let's pray together.